Let's open in our Bibles to Psalm 131. I love this psalm. It's a a short psalm. It's only three verses long. And Charles Spurgeon once said of it, it's a short ladder that rises to a great spiritual height. I love that quote about this psalm. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to pray together. Hear now God's word in Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come today with noisy hearts, and I pray that we would bring them to you, that you would quiet our hearts, and that we would hear from your word this morning. You can do that. And so we ask boldly in your powerful name, amen. Psalm 131 is talking to us today about stillness, about quietness before the Lord. But most of us, if we're honest, we didn't come here this morning with quiet hearts. We, we came here this morning with very noisy hearts, with a lot going on in our minds and our hearts that distract us from doing things like studying Psalm 131. We came this morning with a thousand tasks that have been left undone. We came with hundreds of hopes that we have not yet realized in our life. We've come with relationships that are bent and broken and out of whack. And even as we sit here this morning, we have this internal voice inside of us that makes our hearts a noisy place to be. So when we open a place like Psalm 131, it comes to us kind of like a corona ad in a magazine. Right, You're going about your business and then you see these two people just sitting blissfully on a beach looking out over this Caribbean blue water. That's so foreign from our lives, that might as well be on the other side of the moon. Coming to Psalm 131 in our noisiness, it's hard to grasp what the psalmist is after when he talks about these things. But we're going to do this together. We're going to climb this spiritual ladder together of Psalm 131, shedding the things in our heart that create noise. This is what the psalmist says in verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. The psalmist, he knows himself well. He's being very honest about himself, and he sees that what is between him and stillness before the Lord is this battle line of pride, of haughty eyes that look down on other people, and of overreaching himself. He's identifying these things in his heart that are keeping him from stillness before the Lord. And I want us to look at each of these in turn. He says, my heart is not lifted up. The first thing to go must be pride. If we want stillness before the Lord, pride must die. Listen to the Lord in Isaiah 66 verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If we want stillness, we must kill pride. 
Now, some of us are thinking, yeah, right, kill this thing in my life that, that I've been born with, that defines me, that dogs me every day of my life. Uh, you might as well ask me to walk on water as to kill pride in my life. How am I going to do something like that? Well, if you're thinking that, you're going on the right track, but I want you to take that thought and put it aside for a bit as we continue deeper in this psalm. He goes on to say, my eyes are not raised too high. Another translation says, I don't have haughty eyes. In other words, the, the psalmist is saying he hasn't raised his vision so high that the only vantage point he has of other people is below him. He is not looking down on other people. He's not gotten to a point of his pride where all he can see is people below him. Because when you think about pride, it has a lot to do with me and who I am and what I can do, but it also has a lot to do with you because you need to be beneath me to raise my pride. Haughty eyes lack genuine, mutually generous relationships with other people, but they also lack that kind of relationship with the Lord. Haughty eyes, when you've raised your eyes too high, you've become above correction and above learning from other people and from the Lord. This is something I deeply struggle with in my own life. And because of that, I've memorized Proverbs 12.1b, which has been so helpful for me to think about my own relationship with my haughty eyes. And, and Proverbs 12.1b says, He who hates reproof is stupid. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great proverb to learn? If you hate reproof, you're stupid. Sometimes the Bible beats around the bush, and sometimes it just goes right for the neck and strangles you. And this is one of those places I turn to to remember when I keep that vantage point, I am not learning from other people. The psalmist is saying, I have none of that. I am putting to death in my life these haughty eyes. And then finally he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm not overreaching. I'm not spreading myself too thin. I'm not grasping at things I can't attain. I don't have this kind of restless ambition in me. Now we need to be careful here when we talk about this, because are we saying that Christians can't have aspirations? Are we saying that Christians can't set lofty goals and pursue them with all our energy? Of course we're not saying that. We're trying to distinguish here between godly aspirations and godless ambition. Between what it looks like to set a goal and to strive after it for the glory of God with all our energy and attain new heights in where we work and live and play and the difference between that and this restless kind of ambition that can never be satisfied and is not centered in the Lord. Eugene Peterson is an author and he has a great quote distinguishing between these two things. He says, it's difficult to recognize unruly ambition as a sin because it has a kind of superficial relationship to the virtue of aspiration. An impatience with mediocrity and a dissatisfaction with all things created until we are at home with the creator. But ambition is aspiration gone crazy. Aspiration is channeled creative energy that moves us to grow in Christ, shaping goals in the spirit. Ambition takes these same energies for growth and development and uses them to make something tawdry and cheap, sweatily knocking together a babel when we could be vacationing in Eden. Do you see the line beginning to draw between having a healthy aspiration for what God wants us to do and this kind of restless ambition that never finds contentment? The psalmist is saying, I put this to death. 
I want nothing to do with that kind of godless, restless ambition. It's quiet in my heart. If the goal of this psalm is to quiet ourselves before the Lord, like a weaned child to be still before him, think about all the ways these three things, pride and haughty eyes and overreaching ourselves, wage war with that. You let these things fester in your heart. You take these three things and give them room to grow as all of us have done. And they will begin to breed other related sins that will undo us. Think for a moment all the things that are related to these, to pride. You have restlessness and discontent and jockeying and jealousy and envy, and anger, and greed, and backbiting, and gossip, and a constant comparing. You have a sick delight in other people's failures, and an envy of other people's success. There's a contempt for the poor. There's a fawning over the rich. There's a greediness for praise. There's a kind of empty flattery you give because you want someone to return it to you. There's a servile fear. There's feeling the victim. It's being easily wounded and it's keeping a record of wrongs. You let these things breed in your heart and they send off offshoots into all these other places. Do you see the devious spiritual powers that are at work here? If you and I, if our greatest need of the hour of any hour is to be still and quieted before the Lord, and one of our biggest temptations in our life is a restless pride that keeps us from being quiet? Do you see the war that's raging in our souls and keeps for a noisy place to, devo- to, to devote ourselves? We are headed for a devotional disaster when we come to the Lord. But the psalmist is emphatic to say, I do not do this. I have put these things to death. I will not go there. I don't lift my heart. I don't lift my eyes. I put these things to death that I might be at peace with God. And then he goes on in verse 2. Distancing himself from these things, he writes, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. This is a touching portrait of what stillness before the Lord looks like. He's talking about being before Jesus like a weaned child. Now we know what an unweaned child is. We know what the opposite of this is. An unweaned child is a child, of course, that still breastfeeds. It's used to having constant access to its mother's milk. And because of that, it can be a restless and snippety child. We've all seen a mom with an unweaned child in public. And the baby is grunting and wrestling and crying and pulling on her and getting a little PG-13 in the bilo. This, this is anything but a picture of serene contentment, right? This is an unweaned child that's restless. The psalmist is saying, friend, when you come to Jesus, restless and anxious and overreaching, your devotions look like an unweaned child. Pull yourself together, man. What are you doing? That's, that's what we look like. And he is saying here, I have stilled and quieted my heart before the Lord in such a way, I'm like a weaned child that's at peace. I'm content with the Lord. Okay? Do we get what verses 1 and 2 are saying? If we want rich times with Jesus, we turn off pride and we turn on stillness and we have it. Now go and do it. That's all we got to do. Turn off pride, turn on stillness, you will have rich times with Jesus. Well, we know that if we were left there, 
None of us would achieve this. None of us could climb the spiritual ladder that Spurgeon is talking about to these great heights of still quietness before the Lord. We can't do that. Some of us are here saying, look, pride is so ingrained in my life, I don't even know all the ways it defines me. How can I possibly turn off pride in my life? Some of us are saying, I literally have an unweaned child. How can I possibly be quiet before the Lord when my life is so noisy? Well, to be sure, the person who is writing this psalm, King David, is no stranger to noisiness, right? I mean, David experienced all kinds of threat from without and threat from within. He experienced all kinds of things that distracted him from the Lord. And he is the very person who's writing about a stillness before the Lord. So how do we access this? How do we get at the stillness that he's talking about? You'll notice that the psalm takes a turn in verse 3. Because for the first two verses, it's almost been like we're watching an actor on a stage. And the psalmist is standing there and we're watching him, but he's speaking to the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, I've done these things and I'm experiencing this from you. And we're watching him do that. But in verse 3, it's like the actor turns to the audience and he looks to you and to me. And he says, this is what I want to tell you who are watching me do this. And so he says in verse 3, O Israel, addressing you, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Did you hear that? Hope in the Lord. Friends, hope is a rich gospel word that meets us in the ways we are not and points us to the ways that we have become. Humility is inherent in hope because we are trusting in something outside ourselves. That's why gospel hope becomes such a powerful, powerful antidote to pride. Psalm 31 is part of a collection of psalms that were all put together from different eras and different times, but in this book to be used together by pilgrims who were ascending on their way to Jerusalem. It's called the the Songs of Ascent. And Psalms 130 to 134 were used in this book. And you can imagine worshipers reciting and meditating on these psalms as they ascended to Jerusalem. So when we get to this section of the Psalter, we need to be very attuned to the way this is organized. Psalm 130 prepares us for our psalm, Psalm 131. Look at the two verses that precede our psalm. They're in Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. And the psalmist says this, O Israel, hope in the Lord. That's the exact same phrase we just read, and it brings our memory to this, because he goes on and says, For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The hope we're talking about in 131 and 130 are one and the same hope. We are being invited to hope in the kind of Lord whose steadfast love lasts forever, whose redemption is plentiful, who will forgive us all our iniquities. And when we put these two psalms together, we realize that the very one to whom we take our pride to confess it, and the very one we show up in Psalm 131 to be still before, is one and the same Lord. That is the same one we turn to, to see and achieve and enjoy both of these things. 
And so the psalmist is really giving us this two-step process that all of us share to enjoy a sweet stillness with the Lord. Whether you're an anxious king or a harried mom or an overworked employee, all of us approach Jesus in this very same way. And the first step is this. We come noisily to Jesus. We come noisily to Jesus. That's the only way we come. We always and forever come to Jesus with pride, with haughty eyes, overreaching ourselves. We have no other way to come but in the sins that we bring. We come noisily to Jesus. There's no such thing as a quiet time that begins quietly, right? We don't begin our quiet time quietly. There's no more such thing as a quiet time that begins quietly as a bedtime routine with a toddler that begins with sleep. It begins with anything but sleep. You're wrestling this child into bed and he's asking for water and a potty break and a stuffed animal. And that's exactly the same way we come to Jesus. We don't start quietly. We start noisily in our hearts. And the second we sit to listen to our hearts, the pride, the restlessness, the jealousy, the envy begins to emerge. And that is the very way we come. Coming to Jesus in the first place with this pride and anxiousness is practicing the hope that the psalmist is calling us to do. There's no hope in coming to Jesus if we're trying to deal with our pride on the side, but it is a radical, biblical hope to come to Jesus in our mess because he is saying to us, hope in the Lord. His love is steadfast, his redemption is plentiful, and he will forgive the very things that plague your heart. The first step to this quiet communion with the Lord is to come noisily to Jesus. And the second step is to receive the gift of stillness from him. Jesus gives us the gift we're after. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest for your souls. We don't earn rest and stillness by hard-nosed meditation. No matter who you are, you sit down to your morning devotions or during your lunch break or in the still five minutes you have after changing a diaper and you grab your favorite cup of coffee in your favorite seat and you grab white knuckle to that seat and try to force your heart into stillness and you'll get anything but that. You don't achieve stillness. You don't earn stillness. Stillness from Jesus is a gift. We find that when we bring our cares and anxieties and sin to him and we cast those on Jesus for his forgiveness, that he gives us the very gift that we're after. He quiets our hearts like he quiets the storm. He steadies our minds and he allows us to enjoy his presence. When when we do this, when we take these two steps towards Jesus, coming noisily and, for, and finding the stillness that he brings, we have quieted our hearts in this kind of hope in the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, your offer to us is so simple that we will try anything to get stillness but to take you at your word. 
I pray that you would forgive us of that. And I pray and I plead, Lord, that you would make us a people who are calmed and quieted before you because we bring to you the things in our heart that make us anxious and restless. You can do that and you can root those things out of us. And so we ask with courage that you would do that in us. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.